Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so uh, being that this is our uh, class, the last class of the year for this uh, session of Samicha, we're going to talk about the Halachot of Rosh Hashanah. And um, we will start with the Shohan Aruch. Shohan Aruch, Siman, Taf Kuf Pe Alef, 581. Let's go very briefly through it, and if anyone has questions or comments on that, we can discuss it. Saif Alef, Noagim Lakum Bashmoret, Lomar Selehovet, Hanunim, Morosh Hodesh Vailach, Ayoma Kipurim, that's a known fact. The Sfaradim have the custom to start on Horosh Hodesh Elul. The Ashkenazim start the week before, or uh, 10 days if Rosh Hashanah falls on, sun, on Sunday night, like it is this year. To fast on Erev Rosh Hashanah. This, you could find many different explanations to it, but the, the real reason is, in my opinion, is that uh, we're just uh, the general... Um, approach in medieval times was towards asceticism. The more you can fast, the better. The, uh, um, in the Haggah, an interesting comment is brought here. Some say the opposite. It's better to eat. He says, eat before all of the Shahar. But the, because the, the Goyim fast uh, on the, the day before uh, before their holiday is referring to the Lent, to the period of fast that uh, uh, that precedes the uh, Easter. But in general, I don't think that it is would be a proper minhag to fast Erev Rosh Hashanah. One must enter Rosh Hashanah with strength and energy. Um, if, if there is any fast that one wants to take upon himself, it better be ta'ani dibu, to uh, avoid unnecessary words and only speak of uh, issues of teshuvah, of spirituality, of course, helping at home, whatever is necessary, uh, but no idle talk. Saif Gimel, en nuflim arpenem be'erev Rosh Hashanah, b'tefilah, afalpi shenuflim arpenem be'ashmoret b'slihot. So you don't do nefilat apayim, you don't do tahanun on shaharit, even though you do it in slihot. He says be'ashmoret, meaning before, before all of the shahar, but the comment uh, here says, the Magen Avraham, Kevan derova pe'amim regilim l'sayim kodem alot ha-shachar, tiknu l'inpol af imera pa'am hat shemshich al-ayom nuflim. So, uh, when he says that you could do, in slihot, you could do tachanun, if you pray before an etzachama, the Magen Avraham says, even if it uh, got delayed after, until after an etzachama, says in general, you do it, it's not a problem. And it's really, it shouldn't be uh, an issue. But, you know, some people really try to make zirot very early or skip certain things to each his own. Um, and the Haggah ends, And it says, There's no good reason why you should not blow shofar on Erev Rosh Hashanah. There is something that's born in the Midrash that uh, the Tzkiot are meant to confuse Satan. Uh, I think that after thousands of years that uh, Satan is, uh, Satan is following our calendar, he should know by now exactly what we're doing. He has probably uh, up there or down there, wherever he is. He also have maizmanim.com. He could download you know, the, the yearly calendar of, uh, of the Har Shlomo. He's not confused anymore. It's more for us, since people blow shofar on the slihot before Rosh Hashanah, they wanted to create some kind of distinction. But obviously, for a Baal Tokeah, someone who needs to train, someone who needs to practice for the Tkiot on Rosh Hashanah, should not be a problem to blow the shofar at home. Um, and say, Vdala Bechapsir Mistaprim Erev Rosh Hashanah, 
that you have to wash and uh, wash your clothes and, and get ready, taking a haircut on Arab Rosh Hashanah. This was necessary to mention at times where people sometimes would take a bath once a week. Uh, for us, it's a daily practice. But even with our daily practice, when we do it for Rosh Hashanah, it is probably a good idea to add some level of luxury or cleanliness to feel that we're adding sort of a symbolic act to that of the Teshuvah. Um, then that will start um, on on Monday, on Sunday night, with the Tefillah, all the additions in the, uh, in the Amidah, HaMelech HaKadosh, HaMelech HaMishpat. What happens if you make a mistake? There are a lot of there's a lot of discussion in the poskim about that. Um, most poskim agree that Hamelech Hakadosh. If you didn't say Hamelech Hakadosh, you have to return to the beginning of the Amidah. Toshem Sfatay Tiftah. Say all the three first Berachot regarding Hamelech Hamishpat. There's a machloket whether you go back to the previous Bracha to the to Hashiva Shoftenu Kevarishona, or what happened if you remember later on. The minag of the Sfaradim is not to go back. Since Hamelech Hamishpat and Melech or Evzdakav Mishpat are pretty similar, there is the concept of Malchut of sovereignty and Mishpat of judgment. But with Ha'ela Kadosh, when you only said Ha'ela Kadosh, that Hamelech Kadosh, we did not mention the concept of sovereignty, and that's why you have to return. Uh, similarly, you have to say in the Bracha Me'en Sheva on Shabbat, Hamelech Kadosh. In Seif Dar, it says, We don't see that today. Some people used to pray uh, the whole tefillah bowing down. We don't say it today. Uh, we don't do it today, but those who did it had to uh, stand straight at the end of the bracha so they could bow for uh, the, the, prop, the proper places where we usually do that. Uh, the rest of the additions, etc., all these things, if one forgot, you don't have to go back. Um, the rest is about Nushaot of the Sidur, which each follows his own. I'm not going to get into that. Seif Tet, he says, So the, the Shohan Aruch records this very interesting minhag of praying the Amida Bekol Ram. Even when you say Hazara, um, but that brings up an interesting question. <clears throat> Depends on the synagogue. Would you be able to do, instead of doing Hazara on Rosh Hashanah, to do the to do one what we call one Amida, to do the whole thing Bekol Ram? So based on that ruling of the Shohan Aruch, even though he re, he refers to Tfilat Lachash, that you say it out loud and then you repeat the Amida, technically. And I actually did it one one year in the, in the certain Kehillah, where I thought it was necessary, because the uh, during the silent Amidah there was a lot of talking, the people lost uh, their their concentration, the little concentration, the little focus they already had, they lost. So I said that this would be better, and indeed it was better. What we did, we did uh, the thirty the Tekiot before the Amidah, then we started the Amidah bekol ram. Including Kedusha, the whole Amidah Bekol Ram, including the Berkat Konim and all the Tkiot. After the Amidah, we did another set of Tkiot to complete the extra 30, and then uh, we continued the way we continue after Musaf. But that's just an option if you can do it in your synagogue. If people agree on that, that, is a, that will help save Torah Tzibu. Okay, now we go to the Minagim. And he brings the, the list of the fruits that you have to eat. If you try to follow all the minagim. Today there is a proliferation of minagim over the years. People added things that they think um, are symbolic. Every year I get new suggestions, uh, including if you don't eat meat, you could have payday to get a good uh, good paycheck or, uh, uh, I don't know, five, you know, a hundred grand, five grand, whatever they call it, all these uh, chocolate bars. Uh, Rav, you tried once to do... Um, 
All the minhagim, how many, how many simanim did you have, Rabbi Yamin? Ten? Or, oh, okay. So you can, you can have the, the, the dozens minhagim if you do that. Uh, and you don't have to have a meal. The simanim themselves uh, could be the meal. But the real, the real issue that we have to, to explore, I mean, really not to explore, just to think a little bit about it, is uh, what, is the, what is the power of those fruits? What, do you eat something and you say the bracha, was something happen? Um, so when you look at the source of this thing in the Gemara, in Masechet Torayot, uh, Abaye mentions it and he says, it's good to see those things. There are two girsa, there are two versions in the Gemara. One says to eat, one says to see. It seems that the original version was one should see those fruits on Rosh Hashanah because when you see them and you can't, you reflect on them, the, the uh, association with the name of that fruit or food reminds you what you need uh, to pray for. In other words, it's a prop, it's uh, or a prompter that helps us focus on what we need uh, to do and what we need to pray for. And that's something that actually does something for us. So since it's symbolic, one does not have to eat all of them. And probably I mentioned it before, but my grandfather, Allah Shalom, uh, never forced us children to eat the simanim of Rosh Hashanah. Nobody wanted to eat spinach. Nobody wanted to even get near the head of the fish. He said, you know, just look at it, and that's it. And say the, the barachot. So... We have that in mind, that those simanim are meant to help us reflect on uh, the things that we want to pray for. So Rubia, uh, the name Rubia in Arabic is particular to black-eyed peas, fresh black-eyed peas. It's very difficult to get them in America, um, and not to get them and to keep them fresh. So you could use green beans. He says uh, you, you could use uh, uh, tiltan, which is clover. Um, some people use sesame seeds or anise. Uh, anything that is a small and uh, of great quantity because rubia is from the word rov a lot. Karte, leek, silka, spinach. Some people use beets. Tamrei, dates, kara, zucchini or squash. And there, the Nushalter and the Sidurim, today you have a lot of uh, you know, printed brochures that tell you exactly what to do with, with pictures and everything. And it's beautiful. Question, when... Uh, when to do it, when is the right time to do it, the Shohan Aruch doesn't say <coughs> when to do it, it just says that you should eat it, so it seems like you eat it as part of the meal, and that probably was the original minhag, um, uh, that that was just part of the main uh, the main course, then maybe because people brought up problems of, should I say a blessing for it or not, because you don't usually eat dates as part of the main meal, so they moved it away from the meal. So I've seen, and I know of different minagim, starting from saying the brachot between the Kiddush and the Hamutzi, but then the argument is that you're saying bracha levatala, bracha shena tzricha, the bracha is not needed. Some people do it after Hamutzi, but then the question uh, is, do you have to say bracha bureprayets on the tamar, or it's part of the meal? Some do it after the meal, before Birkat Amazon, same question, and some decided to solve all problems, finish the meal, and then bring the simanim. I mean, the problem there is practical, nobody can eat it. If you want to eat, there's not much room uh, for that. So, we did, in our, my family, we, we did both, uh, either between uh, Kiddush and Hamotzi, and there's no concern about because that's part of that's part of the minhag, and actually the Moroccan minhag is to do it every Shabbat to bring uh, appetizers to add brachot, so we could do it on Rosh Hashanah as well, or to bring the food as part of the of the meal. And if you feel that the dates don't belong there, eat it later as dessert. The order doesn't really matter. Um, so the head of a lamb. Some people don't put a head of, we don't put that. We put a, uh, the head of a fish. Again, symbolic, we don't eat it. Uh, we get rid of it later on. But that's just uh, the symbolism. The, the Haggah uh, writes, 
שלא לאכול אגוזים. I'm sure you've heard that. שלא לאכול אגוזים, that you should not eat nuts on ראש השנה. Why is that? שאגוז בגימטריה חד, the numerical value of the word אגוז is sin. The only problem is that it's not. אגוז בגימטריה is 17, חד בגימטריה is 18. Unless you write חד without an א'. So people say, oh, numerical value, if it's one more, one less, not a problem. But the Haggai himself writes the real reason. The real reason that you, don't, you should not eat nuts on Rosh Hashanah because it would cause you to cough and it disturbs the tefillah. Why would it disturb the tefillah? Uh, because some rabbis are very strict uh, regarding, I mean, they can, you know I'm using the word strict uh, in, uh, we'll call it like, no, with the, in, in the limited, uh, you know, warranty, the, uh, the, they, they think they're strict, and they say any foreign alien uh, sound that is heard during the tefillah will confuse the people, they will think this is the sound of the shofar. So we're not talking here about a disruption uh, in, the, in the manner of when you go to listen to a concert or opera and someone starts coughing, and they, they kick them out, but rather uh, the rabbi is concerned that if someone is coughing, other people will think that his coughing is the shofar. And I know it may, might sound to you far-fetched, but I personally uh, experienced that when I was in Yeshiva, the, uh, on Rosh Hashanah, was the only, the first and last Rosh Hashanah that I did in Yeshiva, uh, first because it was Ashkenazi tradition, and second, probably because of that incident that I'm going to tell you, but I told my Rosh Hashiva, if, that if he forces me to stay for Kippur also, he will never see me again. Uh, it was just unbearable. So what happened in Rosh Hashanah? The, one, of the, one of the big fans that we had, we had like commercial fans in the Beta Midrash. It was uh, in Zderot. It's uh, still hot at that time of year. Three fans were working. One of them, the blade was touching the frame, and you heard this noise of the metal scratching against the metal. And it happened around the time of the Tzkiot. And the rabbi, the Rosh Hashiva, stopped everything. And I think for 20, 25 minutes, everybody was waiting for that noise to stop. Uh, I guess that for him, the fact that we were Talmidei Yeshiva, that we were just Yeshiva boys and we didn't have families to go to or you know anything else to do, it's, there's no Torah Tzibur, it's okay to leave us uh, to dry, uh, you know, 25 minutes waiting for the fan to stop. And I remember thinking, you know, sitting there, I said, if my grandfather were there, he would do one of two things. Either he would tell me to go and pull the plug and put out, you know, turn off that, that ventilator, that fan, because Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Tov and you could use electricity, and that's our minhag. Or we would consider the fact that a lot of people there uh, are lenient and do not use electricity uh, on Yom Tov. Uh, and I say lenient because they allow themselves to suffer on Yom Tov. Uh, and uh, what he would have said to people, that's what you should do. Please pay attention. Realize that they have, we have this noise in the back that comes from the fan. So focus on the voice of the shofar. Anyway, you are going to blow 100, 101 voices, way more than we need. One of them will... Uh, will serve the purpose. But that is unfortunately something that we don't do. And I've seen and I've heard rabbis making the Baal Tokeah go again and again and again uh, uh, over a certain Tokeah and letting everybody know this is what we're doing now. There's no need for all that. And we'll talk about when I get to the uh, um, to the order of Tokeah. Uh, anyway, so um, all that came from the uh, the Halakha and the Shohan here of Right? If you're coughing, you will cause the tefillah to be disrupted, meaning that people will think that your coughing is the shofar. Another halacha that is mentioned here, really in, uh, you know, in passing, Okay, so this halacha is mentioned here in 13 words that some people would think Maybe it's symbolic, you know, that the uh, tashlich is mentioned with 13 words because we read a, a portion from the Zohar, the tashlich, that speaks about the 13 attributes of faith, which are parallel to the 13 uh, 
tikkunet dikna, the way that the divine abundance flows through the, the hairs of the beard. Um, well, first of all, there's a there's a typo in the Shohan Aruch. It should be Tashtich b'mtsulot yam kol hatotam, not hatotenu, their sins. The uh, but it's interesting. You see that this minhag is not mentioned by the Shohan Aruch. It's all only mentioned in uh, you know. By the way, in in the Haga, and it started with Maharil with uh, Rabbi Yaakov in the 16th century. Um, most probably on his way to home from the shul, he passed by the by the river. I think it was the 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 Visla in in Poland where he lived, and it would be it would be a nice idea to shake the corner of the garment and say That was a tashlich. That's how it started. Maybe ten words. That's what you had to do. But what happens is, what happened was that we cannot accept a ritual that is too short. We have to build around it. So more psukim were added, and more prayers were added, and then uh, around that, the a whole culture evolved of. You have to make sure that there's fish in the water and you have to give them uh, breadcrumbs. Uh, or no, maybe don't give them breadcrumbs because then people think that those are the sins and eh, don't feed the animals. I don't know what. It is completely out of proportion. Last year, my first year in, in, a, in a new shul as a congregant, um, we, went, we left after Minha. They said, we're going to do the shlich. And we were walking and walking and walking. I'm not against the hike, but not on Rosh Hashanah. We we came back the the little rivulet or you know uh, spring that was it's about fifteen minutes walk from the synagogue. A lot of people walking, including the elderly. By the time we went back to the synagogue to the shul and prayed arvit and went home to do the second night, it was like nine o'clock nine thirty. Was really, uh, in my opinion, ridiculous. I asked them at least for my minyan this year. They said that maybe it would work for the Sephardic minyan because Ashkenazim don't do it. I said put a little uh, bucket of water outside and we're going to go do the tashlich there. That's what you need. You could do it at the sink if you want. It's just symbolic. Let's, you know, keep things in, you know, within proportion. It's more important that you sit and eat uh, the meal, enjoy with your family and you're ready for the tiyot the next day than you go uh, with, you know, to the to the river to read uh, mystical texts that nobody understands and to see a bunch of people shaking their clothes, thinking that now they got rid of their sins and they threw them into the river. The whole uh, ritual, as it was invented, was meant to remind us that we need to shake away uh, those things. Um, but this is how uh, ritual and halachot uh, evolve. The Gam Noagim, finally another minhag that messed up a lot of people. The Gam Noagim Shelolishan Beom Rosh Hashanah. And there's a minhag, not to sleep on Rosh Hashanah, and it's a good minhag. Anyone here ever was ever confronted by that minhag? People telling you that you shouldn't sleep or anything like that. Maybe as teenagers, your parents were telling you, other people, right. So I've heard it many times. And similarly, around this minhag, a whole culture evolved. You know, when can you sleep? Should you sleep? You have to stay up all day, and if it's two days of Rosh Hashanah with all Tzfirot, it's not easy. Uh, then people come up and say, wait, but if you woke up after sunrise, it turns out that you were sleeping on the day of Rosh Hashanah. So you have to wake up before, but wait, maybe sunrise is not enough. You have to wake up by Arlot HaShachar, by dawn. So, you know, and of course you can't go to sleep before sunset, because then it's the day. Uh, if you took a nap, uh, at least... The one good thing, and I'm saying it in a, you know, with a bit of humor, the one thing, good thing that came out of it, that some rabbis are very careful not to say boring speeches because they don't want to put their congregants to sleep and then they will transgress this horrible uh, you know, prohibition. Um, but really, where did it come from? Seriously, where did it come from? The, the Yerushalmi says, Man de damich berosh Hashanah, damich mazale. If you sleep on Rosh Hashanah, your luck, we're also sleeping. You're not going to be lucky because your the the abundance or whatever is going to come to you from heaven is going to sleep around, uh, throughout the year. So obviously that has to be taken with you know uh, with perspective in proportion. 
what they meant is not if you fall asleep five minutes or like Sheldon just wrote, if you go to shul to the early minyan and then you come back home and you take a nap, that's great. It's beautiful. You were up, you prayed with, with, in the morning with, with good spirits, you're inspired and you rest a little bit. That's beautiful. They're talking, the Ushami clearly is talking about someone who sleeps throughout the day and he says, I'm not interested in, in, in tefillah or being with the tzibu or hearing shofar. If you do that, I wouldn't say that that would be a direct reason for one's luck sleeping throughout the year, but rather it's an indicator. It's not the cause, rather it's the symptom. Someone who's not willing to pull himself out of bed and to be part of it, unless that person has a good reason, uh, then uh, something, is, something is wrong with his, with his hierarchy, with his priorities, and maybe he's not willing to dedicate enough time to work as well. Um, so, but we've already spent a lot of time just about those, the trivial minagim and Bottom line, uh, one second, somebody wanted. Bottom line, when we talk about these things, the, uh, um, the rule of thumb is all these things are symbolic. You could eat one fruit, you could eat all the fruits. You don't have to eat any of them. You could just read the names and reflect on them. You could sleep, you could eat nuts, you could. Skip the tashlich, nothing will happen. Those are not the essential things of Yom Kippur. The only thing that will happen is maybe you will feel not with the community, and that's your consideration of what you want to do. Um, the, uh, uh, let's continue to the, to the next halacha. Okay, Halel, Sefer Torah, with this we don't, uh, we don't have to talk about. All the, the order is there. Okay, the Tkiot, Tzichit Kwa Me'umad. When all these things are written, the order of the kiot is written. Um, the uh, uh, there are different minagim regarding the kiot, but the question is, how did we get to this number, a hundred kiot? Where did it start from? So the Torah says that you have to blow shofar, uh, and the Torah says you have to blow not shofar, trumpet. In another place, it says, "Yom yelachem." It should be for you a day of tuah. So the rabbi said in the Gemara that you have to have tkiah and tuah. But but because it says one tkiah, one tuah, I mean, I'm, I'm really you know summing it up very very quickly. Then you have to have tkiah, tuah, and tkiah. So the core requirement for tkiot really is three sounds: tkiah, tuah, and tkiah. This is what the rabbi established. You have to have a teruah, which is preceded by a tekiah, and followed by a tekiah. A simple voice, a wavering voice, and a again a simple voice. Now, the debate has started whether teruah is three short sounds or nine shorter sounds. So, because we don't want to be in doubt, we do all of them. We do... Could be that Shvarim, it's either or, so we do both. And then a minhag was added much later on top of that that says if we consider the Shvarim and Tuah, the three and nine set, uh, you know, uh, meter, let's call it a meter of three and nine, if we consider either one of them to be the, the Tuah, the, the wailing voice, uh, should they be. Uh, done together with one breath, or there should be a separation between them. So many baritokeah are careful to do one set with a separation between shvarim and tuah, and one set without a separation. Um, but even even if we do that, still the number that you need to hear is uh, is ten, is tarat. All together, if you count them, it's 10. How do we get to 100? That is uh, part of a process that took many, many years, spent centuries. First of all, it started with Rabbi Avhu in, in Caesarea. That is something that's mentioned in the Talmud. Um, Rabbi Avhu was the... Uh, or Avhu, or... or Sorry, in the yeshiva they call him Abahu. Uh, Rabbi Abahu was the uh, the the head of the the community or of the academy in Caesarea, 
at the time that that city was a metropolis and you know, people came from all over the world, including Jews from different communities. And Rabbi Abahu is uh, responsible for many of the minagim of Rosh Hashanah. One of them was a minag that he established to blow the shofar twice. One, one time, once while sitting, and the other one while standing. Why would you have to do uh, two tzikiyot like that? Because Jews from two communities converged in Caesarea. And the the option was, I mean, the choice was either they will fight every Rosh Hashanah, whether you do it standing or sitting, there will be a breakaway minyan, one will do sitting, one will do standing, or what Rabbi Avahu did, he said, we'll do both, we'll do the Tkiot Bim Yoshav while we, uh, before the Amidah, and one during the Amidah, so that doubled it from 10 to 20, and if you add the repetition, it becomes 30. Came the Mekubalim and uh, expanded it to three times each one of these sets. Uh, the uh, the Shravali, uh, the first one to mention it, I wrote an article about that, is, is the Shla Rabbi Shaya Levi Horvitz, the author of Shnei Lachot Abrit. What it means to us is that whether you are the Baal Tokeah, I mean, unless you are under the jurisdiction of the rabbi, whatever the rabbi will tell you to do, that's what you're going to do, don't fight. Uh, but if you're in charge, either as the Baal Tokeah or as the rabbi, or if you're a congregant and you're listening uh, to someone blowing the shofar, or you're going to blow to, for, to someone at home, and you want to know that you did the minimum uh, which is required with one set of tashat arat tashrat, you're good. You're covered with that, and there's no need to worry. Um, there's also um, one, one. Di- I mean, one difference that I'm aware of. That I mean, there each Baal Tokia has his own minhag. Um, the, my my tradition, at least, uh, which is Iraqi and is also the Yemenite, is to do the the tua instead of doing the tua in the what is considered like the traditional uh, way, maybe except by all like a right with like broken voice, to do it as a wavering voice, which is done by holding the tongue uh, next to the to the mouth of the shofar and moving it up and down, uh, and then you hear like this like you have to be careful to listen to it. In my opinion, it's, uh, it's I want to say more authentic. You know, we, nobody knows how it was done, but the way it is described in the Talmud, that, the Gemara, that it has to um, uh, s- simulate the sound of someone who's crying, I think that this is more like crying than the broken voice. And I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do it so you hear how it sounds. Um. Did you hear the, the difference that it's wavering or not so much? No? Okay, so listen to the difference between Tekiah and Tua. This is Tekiah. This Tua. So maybe we, yeah, we have to hear them um, in context to know which is Tekiah, which is Tua. Um, well, I did have... Uh, a situation one year that someone came up to me after the after Rosh Hashanah. I did all the tkiot, <clears throat> and he said that he did not fulfill his obligation uh, of uh, hearing the tkiot. I asked him based on what he's saying. That he said because this is not how we blow the shofar. I said if it will if it worked for hundreds of thousands of Jews in uh, Iraq and in Yemen, it should work for you as well. I mean, you shouldn't be worried about that. But if you want. You know, you're welcome to stay here and blow the shofar. Not that I dismiss the minagim of anyone, but if I'm the Baal Tokan, that's how I know how to do it. That's that's what I do. You want someone else to do it, it's fine. Um, but that's that's an area, the shofar is an area where a lot of people fall into this OCD trap and they want to make sure that they have uh, um, all uh, everything covered. It's told about the, the Maharil Diskin that all day Rosh Hashanah, uh, this is about, you know, 150 years ago in Yerushalayim. Um, he had Baalei Tokim coming to his house, blowing the shofar again and again, 
uh, that's part of this nervousness, like maybe I didn't fulfill the mitzvah. If you know that the core mitzvah is to hear the shofar, one set of tzkiah, shvarim, tzkiah, that's it, you know, we should calm down, we should really go there. The whole idea is not that we check, I mean, this is I say to Abad Tzfilot as well, we don't have to check out a box, oh, I heard this, I heard that, but rather, I heard shofar, I was moved by it. If it was good for one portion of the community, it's good enough for me. Anyway, I'm going to, to uh, pause the recording for a second and look at the chat and also answer questions. So one second. Okay, so, so the, the, the rest of the halachot here have to do with the nusa. So before I go there, I want to, uh, um, to just say something about, you know, uh, more a question of, uh, of mahshava about the tkiot and, and why we do that. I think that's important. When we go to the kavanah, uh, what is the kavanah that you have to have on on uh, on Rosh Hashanah, right before the tkiot? So um, let, let's start with the text that uh, is found in some of the sidurim. I know it's in the Sephardic sidurim. I don't know if the, you find it in the Ashkenazi sidurim. Um, <clears throat> just before the shofar, the Baal Tokea, uh, this is like uh, something that's based on Kabbalah. Says the following uh, uh, tefillah. Yir atzomi lefanecha Hashem elokenu v'lokeh avotenu v'lokeh mishpat. Maybe your will, Hashem, God of judge, of just, of judgment or justice, shetikra kol ha'mesachim avdili benchav v'namicha bet Yisrael that you tear all the the curtains or the the divisions between you and the, and your nation. So in, in, uh, for the sake of your holy names that emanate from the voices of the shofar. Um, and then the, the Hazan goes on to say, I know that I don't have the, the knowledge or the merit to ask for myself even more so for others. We have no wisdom or intelligence to have the kavana of the tkiot and the combination of your holy names. All the way, all the different ways in which we unite the upper midot, the attributes of God of the sefirot, and the way. To, uh, to use the blowing of the shofar to sweeten the uh, the rigorous judgment and the less harsh judgment uh, that should emanate from from those tkiot. And he says, but since I don't know how to do it, please consider for me as I uh, as I do know how to do it and combine my tkiot with the tkiot of the other righteous and, and holy people who do it. Um, that, I think... Is a tefillah that nobody should say. Uh, it's it's uh, it, it poses the tzkiah in a realm that doesn't really belong to us. It becomes some kind of a holy uh, key that is meant for the divine. We are turning keys in a mechanism that's up there, and we are creating certain realities. And that's not that's not what the shofar is all about. Where did we take it from? So obviously, there's something that. Uh, evolved throughout the, the the literature of Kabbalah, and I'll go back to what is the, I think is the Kavanah Pshuta with the Shofar. The more disturbing thing uh, is, yeah, I agree with Shaina, we shouldn't say anything, just say, blow the Shofar, but I think that as Musa, we can remind something to people, what what is there, but not that style of Kavanah. There, in the Sephardic Sidu, again, there's something that is even more uh, disturbing uh, and I guess it's something that maybe disturbed me as a teenager. Later on, I did re- uh, more research into that. Uh, again, it's Yiratzon that you will do in, uh, for the sake of those names which are created by the, the initials of certain psukim that are, they are not really psukim, those are made up psukim that we, we feel like El Nakarev um, and the names. If you can see here on the screen, um, I may actually have it on, on file, but I, um, you see, there's a pastam, pesam echtaf mem, en katam, alef nun kuf taf mem, 
the only thing that has a, a meaning, and katam means their sigh or their supplication. Then we have pashfasim, peishin, peisamech yudmem, and then dionasim, dalid yudvav, nun samech yudmem. And that seems that like uh, uh, an insertion into Asidu by someone who was either a heretic or or uh, or, uh, or a trickster or just wanted to have fun with Jews because the last name looks exactly like Dionysus, the uh, the Roman uh, god of uh, of wine and, and orgies, and just it just got it got into the Sidu. Should not say any of those things. Uh, like Shaina said, you just blow the shofar, we said the bacha, let people have kavanah. But I do think that there is a certain kavanah here that Torah didn't even have to mention. And that is um, something that they have to do, that has to do with uh, the musicality of the shofar and the place of music in our lives and who we are when we come to Rosh Hashanah. The uh, um, what I'm trying to recall what was the what was the composition that I heard this week. Someone sent me something that has to do with the with the high holidays. Maybe it was a kol nidre, and during the kol nidre, someone was blowing the shofar uh, in in the form of a melody, and I didn't like it. I don't like it when I mean this is a personal thing for me. I don't like it when people blow the shofar uh, in the synagogue in the form of a melody because it doesn't belong there. They could do it, you know, at Bar Mitzvah, at the Kotel, you know, it's for fun, yes. The whole idea of the Shofar is that it's the, what, the, what the rabbis call the Mishnah, Shekolo Pashut, it has a simple voice. It is, it is a simple, powerful, piercing voice, which is easy to imitate. Now, and why is it important? Because music plays an extremely important role in our lives. Music is the one of the first impressions, if not the first impression that we have in our brain. Um, and for that reason, people who uh, go through diseases like dementia or Alzheimer, the last thing that they forget is music. I might have mentioned it in the class before. If I didn't, you should watch this documentary on Netflix called Alive Inside. Which is amazing. It's um, uh, someone who, a social worker who, for some reason, decided to play music to his patients, and then he found out that if he plays music that his patients heard before they turned twenty, it brings them back fully or partially to life, which is really amazing. And that, then later on, psychologists and and the neuroscientist investigated the matter, and they found out. As I said, that those memories, musical memories, are are so deeply seated that uh, they are the last one to disappear. So when you trigger them, you trigger neurons like neural connections throughout the brain that that fire them up. And it's this really uh, something that you think of when we say, you know, they're playing our song. Think about how how music can move us. There's a spe- specific musical piece that you heard at a certain place in a certain time. For you, it will mean the world. It's you know, other people could listen to it and okay, be, you know, it's beautiful, right? Um, it's like for us to hear a tikva. It's not you know, the national anthem talks to all of us, but when they're playing our song, we would be moved to tears. That's why we connect to the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, I think, um, and other emotional pieces for us. So now think about the shofar. When was the first time that you hear the shofar? As a little child, hopefully, right? We're in the synagogue, or maybe it's about Shuvah, whatever. But the first time that you hear the Shofar in the synagogue, most probably you're a young child, and the impression that that Shofar leaves on you is uh, is unique because <clears throat> you're at that uh, stage in life. We are at our stage in life. We're still somewhat innocent. We believe that the world is good. We believe that we could do good in the world. And we're not aware of all the problems and how difficult it is to change what is going on before we grow callous and we don't care about what is happening. Right? So every year when we hear the Shofar, we are being transported back to that moment in time. That is the Kavanah, I think, that we have to have. It's that we, we want to wake up 
that child in us that still has a pure heart. You know, when we say at the end of Kippur, the Pasuk that is that appears in the Sephardic liturgy is Create for me a pure heart and um, renew in me a correct spirit. So where is this pure heart and true spirit? Where do they come from? We didn't have them at one point in our lives. We had them when we were children. So that I, that's why I think that it's important really to be moved by the Shofar in that manner. Not to think of the Shofar as, okay, I'm going to hear a hundred voices, or a hundred and one, or thirty, whatever, but rather think, now I'm going to be moved by that Shofar, because I'm going to remember that once in my life, I was a child that believed that the world could be better. And uh, not so we have to shake away our apathy. The, the, the greatest obstacle to Teshuvah is apathy and indifference. When we are apathetic to the world around us, we don't feel that we need to do Tikkun Olam. We don't feel that we need to, to move something about the world. When we are apathetic to ourselves, we let ourselves sink into whatever habit or routine that we have, and we're not going to change it. The Shofar is supposed to shake it. If we walk out of the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, and we tell ourselves, great, I did the, the tefillot, I heard 101 voices, now I'm clear to go for another year, then we miss the point. If we walk out of, of, of the shul on Rosh Hashanah, or if we didn't go to shul and we had to hear the shofar at home, and the way we feel is like, this shofar has shaken me and, and brought back to my, to my attention, to remind me what are the real things that I have to do, then this is our game. This is really a Rosh Hashanah, not just the beginning of a new year, but the head of the year. We have a head there on our shoulders uh, that is thinking and, and planning of what, what needs to be done and take a course of action. So that's sort of like a little bit out of the realm of halakha, but sometimes halakha take over our lives in a way that uh, the, the, the kedusha and the spirituality are pushed aside. So we have to make sure that we know... Um, how to balance them. So, to add to that, um, the, uh, like, like Sheldon also mentions here, that the, uh, the, all the, all the, the, the tefillot, the tunes, um, the nusa that we're familiar with, uh, with Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, this really rings, uh, rings bells for us. Like I said, I couldn't, when, as much as I, uh, I like the Ashkenazi melodies, but on Rosh Hashanah, I felt that I needed, I needed my tradition uh, to connect. Uh, it's good to learn and to mix traditions once in a while, but overall, this is how I, um, I felt connected to the, uh, um, to, the, to, the, to the essence of Rosh Hashanah. But really, the Shofar is, is the core there. Um, and very, very important, no matter what happens, I'm telling you, as rabbis, as leaders of communities, and wherever you are, even even if you're this year not going to assume any role, just be a congregant. The most important thing that you want to strive for in Rosh Hashanah is peace and harmony. That everything will be done out of mutual respect to one another in the synagogue. Because if we cannot maintain it there, how are we expecting that to emanate outside of the synagogue? Um, one last thing, since we spoke about tefillah with the foreign influence. Someone brought up the question of tefillah la parnasa, the uh, and which is interesting. I, I just realized recently that this uh, prayer for sustenance made its way into the art scroll sidur uh, for Rosh Hashanah. The uh, maybe because of its popularity, people like to pray for a good for a good sustenance. The uh, <clears throat> and it's okay to pray for it, but the strange thing about this tefillah is that uh, it it includes a holy name that we're not supposed to say, which which uh, is derived from a certain verse, which is not clear exactly how it's derived from. Rabbi Yosef Messas says about this, um, he says, I don't know what this name is, and I don't know why we should pray to that name. If it's an angel, I pray to Hashem, and if it's one of Hashem's name, I'd rather pray to the name that I know, rather than an obscure name. But I remember as a kid, the, the Hazan would read um, this uh after the Mizmor, and he would say, and just like the Shofar, the holy names are included and derived from it, 
And they say Leman Kedushat in uh, for the sake of the, its whole its holy verses and words and letters and trope and uh, hints and secrets that which is derived from it, and for the sake of the great name Dikarnosa Hayotzeni Pasuk Varikoti Lachem Bechar Al Ad Beridai. And the Hazam would always would get to this word, which is in parentheses. He would stop and reflect on the name Leman Hashem Agdol Vakadosh. Hayotzeni Pasuk that is derived from the Pasuk, and I must admit that when as a child, this was a um, a solemn moment, right? We are reflecting on a God's name that we're not allowed to say. Unfortunately, it turns out that this God's name is again an, a foreign influence in our Sidu, and Dikaranosa comes from either Latin or Spanish, mean Dia Carnosa, the day of the flesh, Dia de, de, de la Carne. And it was entered there as a joke by someone who wanted to make fun of his fellow Jews, either because he was a Shabbatai, uh, someone who followed Shabbatai Tzvi, or for any other reason. Um, and there are other, other Tfilot, now that I'm talking about Shabbatai Tzvi, there are Tfilot that were uh, included in the book Hemdat Yamim, there's uh that became very popular in mid in uh in the seventeenth eighteenth century, but was all written by students of Shabbat, by disciples of Shabbatai Tzvi. According to my grandfather, great grandfather, it was all written by Natana Azati in order to promulgate the uh the philosophy of Shabbatai Tzvi. And prayers from this uh book made their way into the Sidur. They appear especially in the um the three pilgrimage holidays, and Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, they appear before, <clears throat> during the opening of the Ark. So, better not to say them. In general, if you don't understand a prayer, don't say it. I mean, they're saying to us as rabbis and to anyone else, there's no point any tefillah if you don't understand. If you really don't understand what you're reading, it's better to follow that simple Hasidic Jew that is mentioned, you know, in the classic stories, either who plays his flute or just takes the letter from Aleph to Yud, says them all day and says, you got, take them, do with them whatever you want. Uh, it's better than saying tefillot that were composed or piyutim or liturgy that we do not understand. It's a really um, uh, an important thing to take the time, learn the tefillot and understand them. And I'll conclude with that. Stay online for a couple of minutes for questions, etc. But well, that will conclude. Hopefully they will understand the Tfilot. We'll move by the Shofar and we will all have a wonderful experience this coming Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and Shana Tova Metuka to all. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.